What is population health? Why do some people become sick while others don't? How do we study and what can we do to eliminate health inequities? Sick Individuals, Sick Populations, the new podcast series from the Interdisciplinary Association of Population Health Science covers these topics and more. Join us. Aresha Martinez Cardoso from the University of Chicago. Mike Esposito from Washington University in St. Louis. Daryl Hudson, also from Washington University in St. Louis. Twice a month as we discuss cutting edge population health research with scholars working across disciplinary boundaries. Welcome back to Sick Individual Sick Populations, the podcast from the Interdisciplinary Association of Population Health Science. For our inaugural 2022 episode, we're excited to be joined by Dr. Jesus Ramirez Valles. Dr. Ramirez Valles holds many hats, including uh, director of the Health Equity Institute at San Francisco State and the editor-in-chief of Health Education and Behavior. Over the course of his career, Dr. Ramirez Valles' work has been rooted in the social and behavioral sciences and in community-engaged research and is concerned with understanding and changing the negative health consequences of social exclusion, such as stigmatization and racism. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We're really excited to chat with you today. Thank you for inviting me and being the first one of 2022. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my host to get us started. Yeah, it's hard to believe that it's 2022, by the way. Like, <laughs> I, it's it's still 2019 to me in my heart. Um, <laughs> that. But anyway, so to go ahead and get us started with what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic conversation today, can you just kind of take us back to when you were starting out on your own journey through academia, right? So you just finished your PhD at U of M, uh, you were getting ready for the job market. Did you know exactly at that point in time what you were getting yourself into hmm. over the long haul, becoming a department chair, leading academic uh, centers, and much, much more? And like if you go back in time and do it a little bit differently, is there anything that you might have changed about your career path uh, looking back at it now? Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, great question. I know what I will change right away. <laughs> My salary negotiation skills. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, that has to be a, a, a year-long semester uh, course in our PhD programs. Um, uh, thank you. Um, it was a very exciting time, of course, uh, coming out of Michigan, you know, I had to be modest, but I had, you know, my choices to go to places. And I chose Chicago because such a wonderful urban environment, urban center to do public health, right? Um, being brown, being gay, so um, being in the cities, you know, I never, you know, um, the suburbs give me the angst. <laughs> so I, I, I live in the city. So, um, it was a dream come true, and I had to uh, admit um, I'm a romantic at heart. So, like many of you, had this romantic idea of a professor, right, in Smith College or in Harvard or in Cambridge, and um, not winning Nobel prizes. That has never been mm -hmm. my type of goal. My type of goal was this romantic idea of being a professor. You know, working with the students with ideas. Um, so. No, I had no idea my career would take this path, would have taken this path. Um, as a matter of fact, when, um, when I got tenure at the University of Illinois in Chicago, 
Um, the dean that hired me, uh, Susan Scrimshaw, she just recently retired as a president of Sage College. Um, she hired me actually as an assistant professor. And so I came to UIC largely because of her, University of Illinois at Chicago, because of her. She was a great leader, um, great advocate. So um, I sat with her and I'm like, all right, Susan, so now I got tenure, now what do I do? And she says, well, you do whatever you want to do. Now you got tenure. And she says, what do you want to do? Uh, and, and I said, well, one thing I for sure do not want to do is administrative work. <laughs> Never ever give me any administrative um, tasks. And voila. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's what I have been doing the last 10 years. Um, but I tell you what, what, what changed for me, my change of heart, it was because when you get into these paths in this academic career, then do you see the opportunities to make a difference? Um, so the, I was compelled and I felt that I could make a difference, that my ideas of what I wanted to do was needed. And so that's why I stepped in. And I'm like, okay, it's me or my neighbor uh, being chair of the department. Well, I guess it's gonna be me because <laughs> I don't want my neighbor um, <laughs> the, way, the way they take care of the lawn, you know? So I, I do better job taking care of the garden. So um, that's why I stepped in it because it was my motivation to make a difference. And my, the big difference that I wanted to make is recruiting people of color, right? I was the one lonely brown person. There were a couple of black professors um, in a faculty of 60 um, mm -hmm. and 80 later on. And so um, I did want, I wanted to make a difference. And I had good, good mentors and good uh, role models to follow as chairs and then as deans or as leaders. Um, I was very um, um, lucky, if you will, that I had a wonderful chair that passed the baton to me as a new chair coming that helped me and supported me tremendously and had a, a network around the country, the one, of course, in Michigan that I always still have. And then on the East Coast and the West Coast have a couple of mentors that really guided me to do this process and to take on these roles. Um, they're never easy. They're not easy because they're completely different from academia, from the traditional academic world that we've been taught we're supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a surprise turn. Um, here I am, you know, um, enjoying the ride, um, getting older, um, and I think enjoying um, not better is enjoying the different phases of being a professor and in higher education. But yeah, I need to learn how to negotiate salaries. <laughs> I think we all do. You maybe you can tell us the secret sauce as a chair. Oh, right. What worked <laughs> when people came and like what did it? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, speaking of sort of pivots that may have been unanticipated, um, and especially in, in leadership, you served as the editor for a couple different academic journals: Health Promotion Practice, and Health Education and Behavior. And we're wondering if you could tell us how editors and editorial boards of journals help to shape the direction of a journal and what the broader implications are for the for the field. Um, <clears throat> Daryl, thank you. Um, I love being um, an editor. You know, I've been um, health education and behavior has been my home. The Journal of Health Education and Behavior for many years. It was my second paper that I published there. 
my mentor, two of my mentors in Michigan were um, editors in chief. So that's why they brought me on board. They taught me not only how to write academic English, <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, how to be a good editor and manager and a leader. Um, so it's stuff that I love. And, 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 and the journal industry, because it's an industry, the academic journal industry has grown tremendously mm -hmm. since, you know, 30 years ago when I started. It has, been, it's, it has become such a different space and so competitive. And anyhow, you know, the drill of being both sides, an author, reviewer, and then an editor. One thing I learned is we have a lot of power. Hmm. Editors, we do have a lot of power. Whether we acknowledge and want to use it or not is different, but we do have a power that we cannot deny. And I use it, right? I use it not only to push good scholarship, innovative scholarship, but also to bring this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion into academic work, yeah. right? Um, we just published last year a special issue on scholars of color. We only wanted to have first authors of color in mm. our pages in that special issue. And we're working right now on one on students in which we want students to be first authors. So I have a lot of latitude, latitude, right, in terms of, of what I can produce and what, can, what kind of knowledge, what kind of author do I want to broadcast? Because that's what the journal is. I'm accountable, right, to the Society for Public Education, which owns the journal, the Board of Trustees. I have to report twice a year to them, you know, my activities and stuff like that. My editorial board, international editorial board, um, and then the associate editors, right? Um, and then the editorial board um, is, is such a wonderful place to be with, surrounded by people that are so creative, so talented, and so supportive. Um, basically, I just have to ask questions for them to give me ideas of where to go. These two issues that, um, that I just mentioned, the scholars of color and the students issue, um, came out of my conversations with them. Right, and then and it's my way to um, bring people that I want to work with, uh, bring um, ideas that I'm um, that I want to push forward. Um, so it's it's really a privilege, you know, to be um, an editor. I have to say though that um, I get support. I get an honorarium. Most people do not get honoraria for doing this. Mm. Uh, it's a service to the community. It's a service that is less and less appreciated. We should put forward for peer review or any journal work that any of us do to be part of our job, not something that we do at nights or weekends like we usually mm. do. Mm -hmm. So through my roles as an um, um, associate editor and uh, chief editor, I receive another one. I mean, it's not a salary, but it's an important piece that I can carve, you know, this day. And my associate editors in the curriculum have a small honorarium to support this work. Now we need to push forward for um, um, reviewers, right, to be rewarded in a better way. Um, so is I have this privilege to be in this position to really devote the time and the energy that uh, the journal deserves um, because of the resources that I'm provided. Thanks. Yeah. I always like see journal editors and I'm like, I don't know what they do. And like, can I email them to be like, get my favorite? Like, you know, but I do think that 
they like editors, especially the ones deciding whether or not like to push your stuff, have so much sway and like figuring out how to work with them, like program officers, right? It's just a skill that is not taught until you're like much farther along in your career. Yeah, you know, I still get rejections on my own papers, right? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so <laughs> when I submit my papers and I work on it, they're like, I only if they were editors like me, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I want to work with the word by style of So I want authors, you know, of course, there are authors that I want to support. They're a work that it's not about the person, it's about the work. Right. And that, um, that they turn me on, you know, the work, and then we become very supportive, you know, in helping them navigate that, that, the process and 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 that's um, a very difficult skill and a skill that is time and patience, right? Um, because we, you know, we're not churning papers. I mean, we are such a good journal, you know, that we're not churning papers. Quality innovation is short. So when it comes, you have I have to grab it. And spend the time and the energy that that it needs to, because in my eyes or in my editor's job or my board editor uh, board job, that's important work that needs to be forward. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, hey, can we spend a second more on this idea? I really like this idea you said about like recognizing the tremendous amount of kind of power you have and kind of shaping the kind of like all her fields and kind of like the. Um, uh, direction of kind of like academia and science as a journal editor, right? Like it's such a, you know, straightforward idea, but like I never kind of like took the time to think about kind of the amount of power that kind of like, you know, people that we appoint to these positions have. And so when you're kind of like, and I really appreciate how you kind of conceptualize yourself as like, here's like a place that I can intervene to kind of like mm. help kind of like in whatever small way kind of like help kind of like promote equity and kind of diversity in our fields. Is that something that other journal, I don't know if there's like a big board or like if you all get together, like have drinks like journal editors, but like, do you hear that kind of like uh, being taken up by other journal editors or is that kind of a unique view, um, kind of point about what that role can be? You mean the issue of being anti-racist? Yeah, um, yeah, and like, like actually kind of like- Even using, like chairs, right, yeah, directors, yeah. 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 Um, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we wish we wish to get together, you know, like um, um, something that I need to emulate better um, is, you know, my the chair that hired me uh, when I was junior faculty and then supported me all the way to becoming chair of the own department. And now he's retired happily. Um, every Friday evening afterward, he will walk to the bar and he happened to the, um, you know, downtown Chicago, you know, Dearborn and and Polk, the old station used to be the Bar Louis there. So um, old timers, you know, like our grandparents probably or parents get out on Friday night and go have drinks, right? So I was a baby and I was invited to do that. And so um, uh, we need to do that <laughs> more among chairs and, and, and editors to get together to not only share ideas and views. Um, seriously, um, because of the country that we live in and the uh, events of the last couple of years, the, there is a, a broader um, movement uh, among in the uh, publishing, academic publishers uh, industry around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and anti-racism. So we're learning 
how can we make structural changes? Because it's in industry, right? It's the peer review process, blah, 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 you name it, uh, the academic process that needs to happen. How can we implement changes there in that process to make it um, uh, less racist? <laughs> I don't think the system can be racist without changing the whole society, but less racist. Um, how can we ensure that authors of color, women are treated with fairness when the papers appear in our screens, right? So there's an effort to do that, right? And so there are people um, and belong and the journal belongs to that to that larger network. Um, I have not participated in a meeting, so I don't know exactly what the process is. But the idea, the basic idea is that we um, struggling with is data collection. How can we collect data on our identities and our social positions and our so social status status and still being fair? Mm. Right? Um, so can I as an author, for example, disclose my age, my gender, my sexual orientation, where I am, you know, so that when the editor or the reviewers get this paper, you know, recognize the situation that I'm not that giving credit, but get more context. Yeah. Right. Um, um, so the um, that's the big biggest challenge. How can we endure that? Because to be honest with you, when you at the publishing end, we are at the very end of the process. If I'm trying to change, you know, higher education after we screw kids up all the way from the, the moment they were born, like how do you want me to change twenty years of poverty and racism when they come to grad school? I can't. Right, so right, it's, right. it's asking you the wrong question at the wrong time. The same thing with us, right? We're dealing with a system that only the few got through, right? Selected, right? So at that point, what changes can we do? So mm -hmm. um, we welcome always ideas. You know, this is what I can do as an editor is have these special issues that literally we call them. We just want authors of color for this special issue. We only want students for this particular issue. Mm -hmm. So um to that point to my next question so this sort of interview is a little selfish because i last year i read a piece that you wrote um which is titled public health has an equity problem a latinx's voice and i don't know how i came across it i just like did one day and it was really a sobering reflection and a critique of brown the barriers and hurdles that scholars of color face while in academia and it was very raw. I could feel like some of the stories you told were very painful and like experiences that I've had, like a different sort of setting. And, you know, it was last year, the past few years have been challenging, you know, sitting in my apartment by myself, like wrangling my data, trying to write my papers, like hearing that I wasn't doing enough. And your priest really spoke to me and some of the challenges that I was feeling. And I bet my co-hosts, you know, have similar reflections and sentiments of their own. So, I'm just curious, like what made you want to write the article? Why write it then? And how do you think your article was received? Because you really did call out, you know, the many scholars and people who work on quote unquote health equity and, and propose, you know, say that they want diversity and yet they're putting these barriers um, in place. So yeah, I guess like, can we talk about that article and you know, how it was received? 
Um, thank you, Arisha. Um, uh, so maybe you tell me how it was received, uh, because you know, as as author, um, so that's not you know traditional you know research empirical research theoretical piece, um, uh, but when I write those kind of pieces, um, I write it to put it out there, not with an intentionality of sharing a knowledge or. Um, or um, like, like in academic terms, you know, putting a dialogue, in, uh, an idea into a dialogue of a broader academic circles. The pieces that I write that are not academic is in my own pleasure. Um, so uh, is, is, and yes, it has, you know, I want to communicate something, but then the audience at that point is free to do whatever they wanna do with the piece, right? So, um, that's how I brought it. So I don't know exactly how we've been, you know, received in the other end. And so I welcome any feedback, but I really, you know, I just want to move forward. Um, but um, I brought it in, uh, in um, out of uh, self-reflection, right? I got, I was in my, at a certain point in my career, God, those time years really beat me up. And so I was very raw in that way. Um, so it was my own working and it's still my own working or my own quote unquote trauma. I'm gonna say trauma because I realized in levels of trauma, my traumas are very little compared to other people's or most people's um, in this world. Um, how, how do I work with those ideas, with those experiences in a healthy way, right? That allow me to learn what I needed to learn and move forward and not carrying them with me constantly. So that was in that moment, if you will, therapeutic um, mm -hmm. um, a process that uh, that I had to do to speak about this because at my point in my career, um, um, in an, in my academic non-academic life, I write uh, creative nonfiction, and I'm doing it in Spanish. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm at the point in which I want to reflect in what I have been. Um, what I have learned on my own and also for others. So I'm writing those pieces. So that piece came on that way on, on, on touching the places that I've been, what I have done, and then trying to figure out what am I gonna do next? Um, so that was in, in, in that process that I was, um, that I grow the piece and I'm reflecting in that academic life in my non-academic life on what stories, stories, do I want to share what stories do I want others to know, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked it. And I, yeah. I shared it with the <laughs> I shared it with the network of um, like women in academia that I'm a part of. And everyone was like, yes, this is how we feel all day. So even if it was very self-reflective. Um, yeah. You know, what was I think most powerful about it was like, this is probably something that so many people feel mm -hmm. and we just don't talk about it enough in these ways. And so it was like nice to, you know, see it out there and publish, which was yeah, powerful. Yeah, to just see it written down on paper, like, mm -hmm. yeah, like tremendous and tremendous bravery to do it too. And lots of people appreciate that I know, of course. Um, but okay, to kind of shift gears just a little bit, right? Um, but it's still in the same vein, right? I want to talk a little bit more about your um, kind of experiences uh, leading kind of different centers, right? In the past, you've helped to lead the Center for Health Equity Research Chicago, and currently you're the director uh, at the Health Equity Institute at San Francisco State. 
Now, both of these centers, right, where the focus has really, really been on trying to address structural and social determinants of health, just how challenging has it been to kind of get funding to accomplish these goals, to bring people on board and really make inroads on solving what seem like uh, kind of really just intractable issues? Uh, yeah, where to start, right? It's bold, right? It's, um, I believe others like me and like you, you take on with these roles because they excite you, right? There is something exciting when you do the research around health equities, when you submit a grant, when you lead a research team, when you lead an institute, when you chair a department, when you lead a group of faculty or students, um, it's because you think you can make a difference and you you feel or I feel like someone has to do it, mm. right? And, and I have been given these resources and this experience that it would be selfish of me not to do it, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's like um, 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 a balance between the, the these ideas that you want to pursue and excited about, but the work that needs to be done. And the work sometimes is not easy, mm. right? And, and I had to be very patient uh, with myself, with the people around me to work through those processes, right? Because the work takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of will, and takes a lot of, of time, right? Um, and then I think one of the big challenges is the higher education infrastructure. Right, that is so hierarchical, is so bureaucratic, is so difficult to move. Um, communities are good and bad, you know, but like we all love them and hate them. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, like my husband and I joke a lot about this because he does his work in the private sector, um, and he's um, you know PR person, so he does a lot of writing and stuff like that, and and so he helps me with the writing. But we both know when a piece that is published came out of a committee versus a person, because <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> and so, <laughs> what are you trying to say in this paragraph? Nothing, well, that's the work of a committee. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, it's a lot of work. And so I have learned um, that we, for me, it, what is required is a lot of cultural work, meaning creating a culture and learning a culture. So when I move from one job to another, when I move this position to another position, I'm not only learning the other culture that I need to learn, um, because academic work in, in, in facts, you know, quote unquote, is academic work, but the setting shapes it. And, and I, um, as an administrator or, or leader, I have to understand the culture if I want not to succeed in what I'm doing, right? So understanding the culture and then what can I change in the culture, if anything? And that's the difficult question, right? Uh, because of um, the nature of academia, that it moves so slowly, it's so ingrained in the centuries long practices, uh, whether we like them or not. And that's the difficulty, right? Um, the other piece is, I wish we um, in academia had um, as professors who learn and interact more with professionals outside academia, like finance people, mm. um, HR people. They know better than we do. Why do you put a faculty person like me to run 
an administration to run the HR unit. Like, no, I, I was trained to work with data or collect data or observe data or be a painter, right? I was not created to manage stuff. So I think if I were to do it all over again, if I were to change academia is academia, yes, you can preserve your ideas, your freedom of intellect and creativity, but you need an expert on finances, administration, and HR. Mm, yeah. It just seems so like when you see people run these centers as a junior person, you're like, yeah, I'm going to run one of these centers and I'm going to like change the world. But then I think the reality of it is it's a lot harder to like do these yeah. big ideas, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. One of my um, my mentors, um, Noreen Clark from the University of Michigan, she just died a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, she when she was professor, chair, and then dean, um, and a, a beautiful human being, of course, always. Um, she used to tell me later on when we became kind of colleagues, right? Um, he says, "This was the best job is being full professor." Mm -hmm. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, goal. <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hashtag goals um yeah. so speaking of asking for a friend here um you have a lot of different hats from leadership and administrative roles but you also have a, a really hefty research agenda you've also produced a documentary you've written a couple books so i'm curious about how have you managed to do all that <laughs> um, stay sane. Um, so, um, and are there points where you've had to sacrifice your own research agenda and productivity to, in order to take over leadership roles? Have you, you know, you mentioned negotiation at the beginning. So, have you um, carved out time and space um, to do that? Um, you know, any lessons that you've learned for for people who are on that that pathway to the dream job of full professor? Um, any, any advice about what you've done and, and figure out balance for you? Um, very difficult question there. How do I manage and keep my sanity on it, on this? Um, I had to acknowledge, you know, that I have been in, a, that I have had some privileges that had allowed me to do this. And one of them is being, for many years, a single male, single guy. I did not have to take care of a kid. I did not have a spouse until late my 30s, right? So I was by myself, I'm trying to do this and that's a luxury that I had, mm. right? Women raising kids, mm. no, yeah. can't do right. this. Even yeah. parents, dads cannot do this. Yeah. So a lot of the foundations of my creative academic work and my research work came on that period in my life. Mm. Then I have the, uh, I'm, I'm like the luckiest guy on the earth, if you will, because I found my husband and we have a beautiful son. So then that brought full balance to my life, right? I, I used to tell people my new arrow one for NIH terminology is my son, mm -hmm. right? And, and my husband knows this, that first is my son and then it's him. Um, <laughs> but um, so that for me has given me the balance that I needed and to be happy to this day with my career. Mm -hmm. That I have a beautiful, lovely family, um, healthy to move forward and, and 
You know, um, as an example, you know, as a traditional academic and junior assistant professor and then a little bit of associate professor, um, I used to work on weekends, um, right? And, and stuff like that. The moment my son came up, came in my life, forget it. Mm. My day was over the moment I was going to pick him up from kindergarten or from, or from school. Mm. And that was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about all the politics, all the government work of NIH or the institute or the chair of the department or whatever. There was this human being that required my 120% attention right. with love. Right. So that has helped me a lot to bring this balance that we talk about. And then I think all of us, when we are grounded, um, you know, we love family support that we need and we healthy, then we can do creative and cool things. I have I have had the luxury to do things that I really enjoy and that are passionate, um, that are things in my heart. And I have had wonderful colleagues, you know, that are supportive of this. This is not the, the job of, of the work of Jesus Ramirez Valles. No, this is not only my family, but wonderful colleagues from Michigan, Chicago, New York, and here California that I have had since I was a student that have been supporting me and mentoring me and guiding me and pushing me uh, and helping me all this. I have, yeah, I mean, with all these wonderful set of uh, mentors and colleagues, I cannot be doing you know what I do right now it, it's more than that is mm -hmm. academic um the type of careers that you're pursuing that you have are not um individualistic it, it, it's a lie you know yeah. who tells you that you're doing it by yourself like no you can't <laughs> um, um the uh, uh maybe maybe some heterosexual white male can do it by himself <laughs> but even that you know that person is being supported by the system right um, um most of us do not and so um uh that's how i think i have been doing it and i keep doing it and getting a budget and then taking breaks right yeah. i have never taken a sabbatical because as a, fam as a family member my dream was I'm gonna take a sabbatical, you know, I'm gonna go to Turkey, I'm gonna go to Thailand, I'm not gonna go to, you know, to my home in, <laughs> in Chicago. Um, so I had never been able to take a, a sabbatical, but I have been funded a lot of my scholarship to take me away, if you will, from the administrative work mm -hmm. and the responsibilities of university to really be creative and be rested because I think that's what we need. And that's what I, my romantic idea about academia was. Yeah that I'm just here to think about, yeah. <laughs> to think about and to do ideas and to do cool stuff. Then you realize all the administrative work and all the service and all the colleagues college that you love and sometimes you don't love so much um, that consumes your energy and clouds our minds and mm -hmm. hearts to be creative. Yeah. The idea of just hanging out, like imagine we, we all, many of us get our wonderful ideas, quote unquote, wonderful ideas, in the shower, right? So imagine being in the shower 24 hours, like, oh, all these wonderful ideas just coming to Those are difficult moments to cultivate. And I think I have had the luxury to cultivate that, to sort of step out of this and just let my mind work and talk. I mean, I can tell you how these ideas came about. Like um, Angela Adams, a scholar, um, uh, she just moved from Chicago to Cornell. Um, um, we met when we were junior faculty. At some point we were flying from, from to a conference from um, 
Chicago to DC or Ann Arbor, one of those countries together. And she was, we were catching up with each other, what you doing, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, I'm writing this book that was Compañeros, Latino activists, um, but I'm kind of struggling finishing it. You know, it's a lonely work by myself and I'm just, and then who cares, you know, about all these guys, Latino activists after all and whatever. And then she turns to me and says, so why don't you do a play, like theater on this? In the moment she said that, what came to me was a documentary because that was my dream growing up, being a filmmaker. And that's how the idea of a documentary along uh, in a film came about, about Latino activists fighting AIDS and HIV. So I think we need to give mm. ourselves and I have been given the opportunity to be with colleagues and these moments in which you just can relax and let ideas come through organically. Yeah. 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 I don't know about you all, but I'm, I, I mourn a lot of this idea of academia, especially during COVID when we've all been like by ourselves and we don't have the like lunchtime talks and the like catching people in the hall and going for coffee. I feel like a lot of that at least for me, creativity has been stifled. So yeah. hopefully we'll get it back. 2020 <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> yeah, 2020 something. Yeah. Yeah. Return to this ideal. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And hopefully whatever comes next, like um, recognizing kind of just like, you know, academia even before the pandemic wasn't in this place that I think that's idealized place that we really want it to be where it is just kind of free flow and space to have information. So hopefully like we transition out of the pandemic, not just back to where we were, uh, where we had those kind of marginal experiences of that, but just be like, oh, we really like even missing those crumbs of this really creative yeah. space, like was really kind of like a downer. And so let's expand that out and really kind of like do something different. It's not gonna happen, but I hope. <laughs> I hope <that> <laughs> we'll do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about like, you know, your son was your R1. And I think there's um, so many, even like senior level faculty who are like, drink the Kool-Aid, keep serving the Kool-Aid and are like, I did this, so you need to do this. You know, I did, I have had senior people tell me like, you need to work more and you should be working weekends and evenings. And I was like, oh God, like I would have, you know, I've been in my, in this, my schooling for like, 20 years of my life, I would like to enjoy, you know, some of it. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's refreshing to hear somebody who's like, not like you just have to work all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so to wrap us up, uh, what's looking, like looking ahead, like what's coming up for you? You've worked on so much already. What are you excited for next? You know, what else do you want to tackle in the next phase of your career? Are you going to jump ship and become a, a do documentary films like what you know what what do you have left um that you want to accomplish in in this next chapter wow and they dreaming right on my wish list mm -hmm. <laughs> um well um, um i think covid you know put a big pause and changed all of our lives right into a, to a different degrees and varied degrees and yeah, COVID, you know, uh, we had some wonderful ideas to do here. I have the Health Equity Institute in San Francisco State. Um, and then COVID, you know, really impacted, I don't think mm. this campus, all campus around the country and all research, right? So, so it has given us a pause. There were a couple of grants <laughs> writing uh, that I stopped, a couple of projects, one of them 
uh, uh, not a documentary, but a media project that uh, my colleague and I, and uh, let me give her a, a shout here, Juneteenth uh, Productions. If you are in Chicago, you will follow her on Twitter, Judy uh, Magrate, uh, wonderful uh, filmmaker and wonderful colleague. So she and I have been working on this idea, media, the stuff, um, and we submitted a grant. Um, it was not welcome the first time in NIH, but then COVID, it's in the middle of COVID, and I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not going to do online stuff, so I'm going to wait <laughs> to do this. So um, COVID put a pause for a couple of projects that I, that we have been working in, and particularly because of my own choice. Uh, going back to your point, Aresha, I mean, right now I'm um, my mental health and my family's health is, is and, and the staff and the faculty around me are, are is, is secondary because this is right. for me has been exhausted, exhausting these two years. I, I don't know what it's been like, you know, for other people that for students, for staff, you know, that um, don't have the same um, level of resources and support that I have. So COVID has sort of put that kind of pause in perspective and waited and see what happens. Um, um, one of the things that we started during COVID um, that has been very rewarding and is coming out soon, maybe next month, is um, um, Latinx Public Health Coalition. We have been working in organizing the Latinx public health faculty from around the country to address um, racial equity in our schools and programs of public health because this is not new to, news to you, but uh, to the larger audience, I mean, the underrepresentation of general people of color, then African-Americans and then Latinx in public health and the schools of public health program is horrendous. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just scandalous. And so we finally were able to get together um, and as a group, we are about 30, 35 people. Um, that got together to start organizing and fighting these. So we have um, our website and our media bliss will come out uh, later this month with a call for action that is gonna be published in a journal that I cannot mention, but keep your eyes open. Um, uh, we want to launch this effort to address racial um, um, inequity or uh, racism in our schools and programs on public health. We started with um, Latinx because that's where we are here. Um, we are uh, uh, concerned uh, with the Latinx uh, community, but in collaboration and in, in, in solidarity with the efforts of, you know, our colleagues in CDC. I don't know if you have seen the call for action that the CDC African Americans uh, staff and, um, and directors put out there mm -hmm. because of the racism that we're experiencing. It was just right before the previous administration finished. If you have not been able to see that website, they've had a couple of interviews in NPR. Um, that speaks about the racism and discrimination that exists within CDC. Yeah. And this is at the heart of public health, right? So public health talks about health equities, health inequities, and how we're gonna change that, but who is doing the work? Who is leading the work? Yeah. And that's what we need to address before we go out and champion an agenda. Yeah. So that's what we are after. And so, um, is, is kind of doing coming through um, and, and hopefully, you know, it's like you were saying before, Aresha, the, of the challenges and the work. It's a lot of work to bring more people, but it has been virtual, all the work that we're doing. I'm so grateful to these colleagues around the country that we have come together around this effort and hopefully 
maybe we will not change the world immediately, but bring these to um to a, 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 a wider audience to a larger platform and start making some changes, um, little by little. Um, at the very least, if 50 years pass or 100 years pass, someone can look back at these journals and these uh, digital materials and say, oh, these brown people were making some noise back then. This is not new. Right. Um, and of course, you know, future, you know, my husband is about, you know, to, um, to, to, to step for retirement. Our goal is to get our son out of college and knock on wood. Um, so he says, once he's out of college, I'm retiring. I don't know about you. And I'm like, all right, well, let me think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm sure um, this engagement will be difficult, right? It's something I would like to do eventually when my time comes, because um, I think we have to make room for other people. And I occupy a lot of resources and those resources need to be utilized for someone else at some point. Um, but I want to be myself, um, prepared to make that transition to something that I feel passionate and I want to do um, with whatever, um, you know, years of energy and talent I have. Yeah, yeah, we need we need more folks like you up in the upper levels of academia, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think that puts us about at time. We can listen to you and talk with you all day, but um, we gotta cut this off at some point, I guess. So thank you so, so, so much. I know you got plenty, plenty of things to do, plenty of important things to run for just taking a bit of time to talk to us today. And also thank you to our loyal listeners for joining us for another episode of Sick Individuals, Sick Populations. We will see you next time. Bye, thanks. Thank you so much for doing this. Keep moving forward.